When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. GM, I'm your dungeon master from Dungeons and Dragons, Russ Moore. And I'm your GM from the end of time and other bothers, Sean Howard. And we're here to help you feel more comfortable at the game table. So we gathered some questions from uh, Discord and Twitter, because that's where we got them. And we're going to put them together and do our best to answer them for you. If you want to send us your questions, send them to dm to gmcast at gmail.com. Russ, this first question comes from a member of my cast of my show. Mike is Egerton asks, the idea of GMing or DMing is appealing, but the quality of GM DMs I've had intimidates. What do you recommend in this case? Don't listen to those other DMs and GMs. Those guys are schmucks. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just as scared as you are. They are, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, So because he's at your table, I'm going to assume you're the other DM and GM. If you if you have or are taking someone who you view as a really great game runner, a great game master, a great dungeon master, um, because of something they do that you really, really like, and it intimidates you because you don't feel like you'll be able to live up to that bar, I'd say you probably don't have to. I run a very different game than Sean runs. Sean runs a very different game than Matt Mercer runs. Matt Mercer runs a very different game than Chris Perkins runs. Runs a very different game than Micah Egerton is going to run. But all of those games have the chance to explore different avenues that the other GM or DM wouldn't have thought of. Um, And you have the ability to tap into something that your other players, even if you have your DM or GM at that table with you, that they might not have thought of and probably wouldn't have thought of because they're not you. Because Matthew and Chris can't do a maze like Russ. No one can get out of my mazes, Sean. <laughs> I actually I, like your answer yeah. a lot. I think it's valid. And I was going to bring up Matthew Mercer, right? Chris Perkins is another great example. Like There are certain people that provide a level of polish to yeah. the, what they do and the way they do. Like like Matthew Mercer's even talked about it, right? So, um, yeah, I, 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 like, I like your answer. I'd say two things. One, don't try to meet that bar, like Rush just said. And the second is steal. If you, when I sit at a table as a player for a long time with, with somebody, after a while, I can, you know, jokingly, you can sort of become them, yeah. right? You're mirroring. You, 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 you do, but you can also steal certain things you like that, that they do, right? Certain you, mannerisms or characteristics, yeah. Yeah, or the way they play characters or the way they... You know, like you can you can actually steal things as well and say, I'm going to make that my own and play with it. Right. Definitely. Uh, and the last thing is, it's fun. Don't invite them to your table. Maybe. I think that's the issue. I think he wants to GM, but maybe invite me as a player. I don't know. He hasn't yet. So maybe he's too. Maybe you're too intimidated to do that, Michael. Um, <laughs> it's, it's weird. We're talking about one of my players. But, you know, it might be that flip that we're talking about. Right. 
Like, I yeah. think if it's, oh, I'm going to go off with a separate group of friends, right? Matthew Mercer will, like, Matthew Mercer hasn't listened to my show. I'm not that worried, right? Yeah, exactly. But if, but if I'm suddenly bringing Matthew Mercer to my table, I'd be afraid to do any of my horrible voices. Yeah. I right? Mean, th- I, th- I think part of what you said hits it right on the head. When you look at, when you look at DMs and GMs who are running a game for a show, a podcast, a stream, on TV, whatever it might be, um, they're, they're professionals in a sense, right? They're trying to put out the highest quality product so that people will give them money. Not everybody's going to be able to do that or not everybody's going to want to do that. Yeah. Um, D and D and, and tabletop RPGs have really come up a lot in the last couple of years because of those people, which is great. But at the same time, it's about setting expectations and figuring out what your table is looking for. Yeah. So finding, finding the fun in the people that you do bring to the table, whether it's Sean or not, he's not going to take too much offense to it. If you don't invite him, Mike, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and, and every but, session with two questions, I think it's hard to ask for critiques, but one thing I like is two questions. What do you want? What would you like to have more of? Like, what did you like and want more of? And what would you like a little less of? And that's a really nice way to frame a question to the table. Not like, what was I bad at? But just like, tell me what you like more of, like what you really got you. And then what would you like me to try and have less of in the next session? And people will tell you. As the great philosophers, the Spice Girls once said, tell me what you want, what you really, really, really want. want. What you really, really, really want. Cool. Next I wanna, question. I want to I wanna I wanna tell I you wanna. the next question. Uh, this one comes from uh, JT the GM at Wado Jeff on Twitter. Um, they ask, how would you go about learning a new system? Wow, that's a crazy question. Good luck. I don't know if they're trying to throw us under the bus here, but how would you learn a new system, Sean? Well, I recently had to do it. So, uh, (laughs) luckily they didn't say, how would you learn a new system, uh, well, well, or actually then follow it or accurately. (laughs) They didn't put any adjectives around there. So I think I'm safe. Um, Okay. Well, I think the answer is, first of all, you don't worry about learning it well or accurately. Yes. Uh, so having played a lot of games, a lot of systems, when I'm learning a new system, and there was a period, there was a gap, right? Like I was, I came back in after a lot of years away, got back into D&D 5e to sort of get back up to speed on those rules. And I was like, oh, I don't want to use that system for this. So I began searching. And we kept getting closer and closer to first recording date. And... um because I don't do anything without a deadline approaching. So the yeah. table is coming together. I had to learn a system. I had a week. I'd sort of figured out it was Dungeon Worlds. And what I focused on is, what do I need to do a session one? What do I need to make characters with everyone, right? What do I need to know about uh, the moves and the character sheets and the, the player sheets, or right there, they're called something different in that world, but basically those the playbooks. And that's what I focused on. I focused on um, basically the core mechanic. So I understood it and then understanding the core moves and then just understanding more of what the players were going to ask about. What is, how does, what are spells? <laughs> what are these classes? Uh, and, and I just focused on that lens. And I guess my answer is make it bite size, <laughs> take off a piece and be like, you can't learn the whole thing. So find out what is reasonable that you think like I could have a first fun session and then just wing it from there. Definitely. Yeah. I'm within the last um, five years, I've learned two systems, one being D&D 5e 
uh, that one was a little more daunting um, because character creation is very long. Yeah. Um, so your first session is character creation, especially with a table of new players who have never played any tabletop role playing whatsoever. Um, so for that one, it was um, sitting down and making characters. And in that, um, if that's the system that you're learning, um, you kind of figure it out step by step as you go. You figure out what skill checks and abilities are, what spells are, what attacks are. So you figure out the mechanics as you're building your character. And then when you're ready to go sit down to the table, you and they have already the base mechanics concepts there. Um, with Fate Core, um, it was a bit of an easier system to set up because it it lays it out for you. Like day one, you're going to sit down and you're going to create characters, you're going to create world, but you're going to do this all together. And then you're going to go away and you're going to read this chapter and then they're going to read this chapter and then you're going to come back and start playing. And with all of the mechanics and, and short form things that they give you um it makes it super easy so yeah bite size pick at it don't don't tackle a 500 page manual on your first day um base rules characters spells like the main headings hit the headings and read the paragraph that's below them essentially just so you have a base idea or with wizards of the coast like you've talked about before just download the quick the quick rules Yes, right. Yeah, just got the base rules, which just, we'll link again. But yeah, just so you understand the base mechanics for Dungeon World, it's a massive book, and I found something written by a third party, which was literally just an intro to running Dungeon World, and it was it was long, it was like eighteen pages PDF, but it was amazing. It walked through the transition from D and D to this, so you can also find nice. a more condensed intro that just gives you enough to start, because. We've talked about this in other ways, but if we have enough to start, we can play a game and tell a story and we can slowly learn what we don't know, right? And decide, do we stop or do we flub it? Yeah, if you have enough to get going, then the questions will come up during and you decide what is important to figure out in the moment or go away later and come back to the next table. Yeah. So I think it's really about uh, risk and comfort with risk that we're talking about here. You've got to determine what your comfort risk is to be in front of a group and not know an answer, right? So some people can't don't want that to happen. So I think they spend a lot of time trying to read every rule. Whereas I might suggest it might be good to just just go for a level of risk to be like, I'm pretty confident I could play the game and defer any big questions. And be open to saying that. Yeah. Um, sitting down at the table and saying, I don't have all the answers, but we're going to figure them out together. The DM or GM is not God. That whole metaphor drives me insane. You're at the table with friends. You're playing a game. You've got a role. You can be It's open. everybody's game. Your role is just a little bit different than their role. Yeah. Love it. Cool. Next question. What do we got? Oh, Kathy is back. What do you recommend to stop trying to railroad? Ooh, this is pretty similar to a question we just recorded. I mostly prep a ton of stuff and are very detailed in my prep and have all those ideas I put in the adventures. And then I want my players to also see all that I have prepped. So I often then don't give them all the options they could have, but only one or two. You can have one of these two. Sort of like Rust. You can go left or right. I'm kidding. Uh, in the maze. That was a maze. Slam. Back to Kathy. <laughs> or I suggest what they could do next. And my players in my Pathfinder campaign are nice and do what I suggest. But it should actually be their decision what to do, shouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the game you're running. Um what you sit down and you say you want to do with the players. If you say you've 
you've crafted out this more module type game that has a clear beginning, middle and end. Um, and they're cool with running it that way yep. and take take the breadcrumbs as you drop them. Mm-hmm. Then that's a perfectly fine way to play the game as long as everybody's having fun. 100%. And you could, if you're going to build, you can build your world to to give each of them the things you know they want to experience. Like you you might have someone on your table that you know wants to do a lot of role playing and build emotional bonds. You have someone else that wants to do battles. You could build a story that gives everyone at your table something they love. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. The alternative um, is being a little less prepped. Yeah. So that just depends on how comfortable, you, how, again, how comfortable you are in being less prepped. Having, you know, one to five encounters, I don't know how long your games run, but having one to five encounters that you have planned for the day um, and let your players go hog wild on the world and drop them in where you see fit or roll with something that you didn't think of that they came up with. But I guess the first step is, Kathy, ask your table, are they having fun? Is there something they'd like to try? And then you can try it as an experiment. You're like, all right. Like Russ is saying, I'm going to do one one thing today that I don't have all the answers for, if that's what they want. Uh, it's a funny story. So uh, uh, my table, Michael, uh, who plays Egerton at my table, uh, still talks about a very frustrating uh, game I was running in D&D. It was when I was testing out how the table would get along and I was bringing on different people to find my table for the end of time and other bothers. And uh, there was just this scene. It was like we were playing, I guess, more of a sandbox campaign in D&D. Right. So sandbox meaning it's up to them. I set up the world and if they choose to do something, then... And somehow they just ended up stuck in this inn. And I was trying to bring pressures to bear onto the inn to get them out, but then it ended up with the inn surrounded. <laughs> and it was a very frustrating gameplay, that session for everyone, because they didn't know what to do and it just kept getting worse and there was no escape. Yeah. <laughs> you were supposed to leave so long ago, but you didn't. And now you live here. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so a sandbox, uh, sandbox, a sandbox can come with its own challenges, right? So there's nothing wrong with like I think my table would have loved for me to have just given a hint of one of two choices yeah. in that in that situation. So, so you can go to the basement or you can go to the roof. There's flag, there's you know gliders yeah. on the roof. There's an underground tunnel downstairs. <laughs> yeah, it would have been yeah. I put a yeah. trap on the thing to the basement, so that didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is one player to trip the trap and die, and then the rest can get down there. <laughs> but actually, what happened is they were all afraid now to move. Yeah. Uh, Fair so, yep. so yeah. So I'd say, Kathy, there is no. It must be this or that. Uh, if you want to experiment with with opening up, you do it just in little ways. Talk to your table. Um, now she also goes on to ask, looking at it the other way around, how can I encourage my players to tell me what they want instead to explore the world a bit more on their own? So. Okay, this is perfect for you, Russ. So you started Dungeons and Dragons with people that had never played, right? Yep. So how did you address this? How did you help them sort of step into playing more of a role? It took a while because, um, as you know, Sean, and as anybody who's listened know, we start we started playing in a module based thing, and the module that we started with was very point A to point B to point C, battle at each thing follow the directions. It was very laid out. Um, And it hit a point where we started making the show and I needed them 
in order to tell a better narratively tell a better story because just just playing a game rolling dice isn't as interesting to me anyways um so we we played a different game set we, i mean first we talked um first we we sat down and was like this is this is where we are this is how it sounds everybody's listened to it this is where we want to be let's start dipping our toe in this water so let's I wanna, not treat i want to understand NPCs as sorry i want to i want to understand this i want to understand so you sat down like a, like had a meeting yeah so you brought everyone from the table and said hey let's talk about this absolutely oh that's cool okay sorry go on so uh, so sorry yeah it it hit a point where we we had a we had an npc we had a guest on um and they were treated very much like they were they were gold mining for information <laughs> This NPC didn't have information that they were looking for. Right. They were just a they were just a person in the world. Right. So yeah, I brought them together and said, Tom, Amy, Carla, when you go to a bar and you talk to someone, you sit down with next to a stranger, do you grill them on where <laughs> the gold is hidden? where the cult of the dragon is? Or do you ask them, hi, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for work? I've been to some industry conventions that had the previous people. Where right? The, the people mining? that are, yeah, they're just like, hi, what do you do? How much do you buy from consultants? Have you ever, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, oh God, you know? I mean, it, it, in a sense, it's a, it's a sales tactic in right. order to be able to to talk to people and to have that interaction. And in a game, it feels weird because, I mean, you can sit down around a campfire and just talk to people. Yeah. It feels more natural. In a game setting, it's like, well, I have a job to do because we're playing a game. <laughs> and I'm like, well, just let's get into character. Let's put on those those boots and let's put on that, you know, quiver and pretend that we're them for a while. And you run into this person who's having a problem and maybe you just talk about that. So what what did the table come up with? Because you had a conversation. Do you remember what the table came up with as like ideas for how they were gonna? Or was it just setting the goal that did it? Or it it was setting the goal mostly, and okay. then me saying that I'm going to put you in sessions in in like in game play where there is no there is nothing you're looking for. So it's going to be a tavern scene. It's going to be. Um, just a group setting. It's going to be, and you're going to come across an NPC who you have never met and you probably will never meet again. How do you interact with them? And that was their kind of breaking point to see like, okay, I can, I can be me within this player or I can, you know, I can, I can flesh out this player. So they're more than just, you know, the three picks that you get from a, a role-playing right. game video game, right? Like, you right. Know, do I go north, south, or east? It's it's more than that. And it it opened them up to start playing with that a little bit more. Some of them, it took longer than others, but others, it just, just like, okay, let's just be people in this world. Cool. Uh, we, that's amazing. Did we that question? We, yeah. nailed, you, we nailed that question. So, so, Kathy, I think if they are used to breadcrumb play... Right. Like, you know, hey, you're always looking for the next thing and it's going to be there and it's going to be signposts um, and they're enjoying it. Great. But if you want to start experimenting, then I think you need to run little experiments and don't be afraid to sit everyone down and talk about it. Right. I guess it sounds like the talking about it's what really 
for Russ and your table, it sounds like that's what really did it was just having that conversation. Yeah, it worked worked like a darn for me. Um, just yeah, just saying there there's something more to this game that we can we can play with. Um, let's give it a whirl. And if they don't want to do it, they'll tell you right then that that's not what they want. But if I, in my experience, it's more likely that people will see there's something extra that they can put into this game. They might they might give it a try at the very least. Give it a try. Nice. Uh, next question. Uh, Models asks. So I, I'm probably going to be taking over the GM duty from another player. How much of the world do I plan in advance? Uh, do I give players false choices? Do you ever recycle missed ideas? What goes into making a good big bad? Few different questions there. Let's start at the top. How much do I plan in advance? Well, I think that's probably going to be determined by the system you're using. Um, and it sounds like it's a homebrewed game from the way it's asked. Mm-hmm. So... We sort of talked about this in in one of our episodes. I think it was episode two. I think Russ and I are sort of on the same page that... um, Okay, let me answer this differently. Models, you are going to overplan on this. You are going to go insane and have all these things written and... And knowing you, you're going to have poems written, which will be awesome that they could find like the, you know, uh, like, what is that called? Where it predicts the future. (laughs) I can't remember the word. Uh, Uh, Crystal ball? No, but like, there's like, it's like a poem, but you know, it's like, it's, it's an oracle would say it and it predicts the future. Wow. Oh. um, Like fate. uh, The heroes learn that. One of them will die. Send us an e- a prophecy. Send us an email and tell us the prophecy. <laughs> send us an email and tell Sean. Okay, so so models, you are going to over prepare. Okay, it's guaranteed. When you're starting out GMing, we all have done it. We've all over prepared. So have fun. Prepare a world. Know in the back of your mind, you don't need all this. So when you're done with your diagrams and pages and scribbled notes. Back up a little and just start thinking about session one and think about how you can start them in action. What are the what are the creatures you need to have on hand? Put them on little cards. You can find them, you know, just the stats you need, right? Like what are the stats you need for a goblin or a rust monster or whatever it is? Rust monster might be a little high if you're low levels. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 build some NPCs, some people and things, and just have enough of knowledge about not the world necessarily, but about the forces at play on the situation you're starting them in, right? So if they're in the, if you're going to start them in the middle of a dungeon being a, rushed by some goblins, then you need to know whose dungeon it is. Why are they there? What are the forces? Who else is trying to run this dungeon or 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 take it over? Um, so I think that's how I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Russ. Um, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. You are going to overplan you're you're less likely to sit down and give them a whole long uh, monologue narrative of all of the stuff that you've planned for the world. You want them to find it on their own. Um, so yeah, like Sean said, start them in action. Start them with you know things flying at them from over the hills if they're if they're soldiers. Um, have something engaging and gripping happening to get them in the world, and then they can ask the questions they need to figure out you know who the deities and the gods are, what they have to go do next. All of that stuff they can figure out on the way. And you can make it up. You can, And if you have some notes, you can refer to those notes. Definitely. Uh, do I give my players false choices? <laughs> uh, okay, so I 
Yes, but only if you are willing for them to always take them. Because in my experience, when I put the red herring out there or the whatever, uh, they always go after it every time. And I'm never ready for that. So uh, so if you're comfortable putting out a false choice, just be ready for the fact that they're probably going to latch onto it and run with it. Oh, see, I, I read that question differently. I read okay. it as, um, I mean, it, it could very well be that, um, but I read it as, uh, do I give my players the illusion of choice? Ah. So if I've got... If I've got three things planned, they go into a forest, they can go left or right. It doesn't matter which way they go. I'm still going to give them encounter one. Yeah, that's a, that, that. that's kind of how I read. Oh, it. cool. In which case, I think we're on the same page. Go ahead. You answer. Yeah. Um, yes. So, <laughs> yes. So, yes, you can. Um, it, it comes with um, you becoming more comfortable in the game that you're running. If it makes you comfortable to sit down and have three things planned out, you can give them 12 different directions to go, but you know, they don't know, you know that there's only one thing that they're ever going to run into. And then from there, you can start to pepper in all of your other stuff. Um, it, there's no harm in, in it's the, that way you don't have to plan 100 different things for them to run into. Um, and, and everything is movable. Yeah. And not to dispel and to, I don't know, to... <laughs> For the poor people out there that are players and are like, oh, um, you know, it, <laughs> the advantage of thinking this way is sometimes you're going to be like, I just have the bugbears. I have bugbears and bandits and they're in the forest. But there's been so many campaigns I've been running where I think I'm going to throw the bugbears. And an hour later, we've had this hysterical time, right, crossing a river and fishing. And, you know, so it's about the mindset, not worrying that really helps, but something may start to happen that triggers an idea and you just run with it. Right. So it's, it's more to stop the panic and pressure, I think on the GM. Definitely. Yeah. It's all about making you comfortable to run the game for everybody because it's your game as well. Um, Next question from models here. Do you ever recycle missed ideas? Yes. Yes. If you don't get to something at the end of the session or they went left instead of right and you had something else really cool planned, pick that card up or pick that page up and move it to another session. I have a card and it's pink. They're pink cards. That's what I use, little little index cards. And they are literally an episode, not because we're recording, but there's an episode number and then whatever was left on the table. So it might be an idea I had that didn't get used or they did something so crazy that I'm like, I have to figure out the, re- the the consequences of that. And it all goes just on that card. So then I, every once in a while, when I don't know what to run for a session, I just read this pink card. Now I have two of them. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I could bring that back, right? Um, and then, yeah. So yeah, totally recycle ideas. Yep. And finally, uh, what goes into making a good big bad, which uh, models uh, goes on to clarify um and or mentioned this in a previous episode but what uh you that you give a villain a weakness and a justifiable move but and this is spoilers minor spoilers for the end of time and other bothers the shattering is just a mysterious force out there they're more like the evil beyond the horizon are there any techniques involved in making that kind of big bad i'm struggling with the shattering so it's an interesting topic um i traditionally like to play with bads that are far more personal, right? I love putting bads in that the players start to hate, 
right? I like putting bads in that can taunt them, right? Like, oh, well, goodbye on the ship sailing away, right? And they're like left being swarmed or whatever, right? Like, I love having a very personal bad that makes it personal. Um, that that not, and so right now I have a, a a force that's very large, but but he almost it's in his question, right? It's 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 on the horizon. It's not as forefront. So it's an interesting challenge that I'm trying to find ways to have a voice for the bad. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure. It's a, it, yeah. It, it's a tough one. To, it, it that's one of the bigger, t- tougher parts of any campaign is how, which I think boils down to how do you make sure that the payoff is worth the 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 journey to get there. Because you can taunt them with a, we can taunt taunt them with a big bad, but if they get there and it's you know it's the guy behind the curtain saying "Don't look over here," then or, it might be a, or the guy it, in the dragon, or the guy in the <laughs> dragon, um, it might be less than what it was led up to be. I think is more the concern. Um, so it comes down to figuring out your 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 villains motivations which we have mentioned previously why yeah. are they doing this why have they picked this adventuring party to taunt and to pick on and to throw things at um give the characters reason to hate them or to want to stop them not necessarily hate but want to stop whatever they're doing um and have them a higher level so that when they do come face to face um, and I say level from like a Dungeons and Dragons yeah. type background, um, have them be more powerful. So if they do come face to face, they have the big bad has a way out if you weren't quite prepared for them to have their final showdown. 100%. Um, and, and, be, and I think you really nailed it. The final confrontation has to feel good in the payoff. Yeah. We, another spoiler, we had, uh, which you did really well in Dungeons and Dragons, Tiamat, that was super fun. I'm biased, but... Um, it was a big payoff, right? Like it was a big buildup and moment and payoff. Um, in any time and other bothers, we actually got some feedback because the Celine Morgu storyline sort of got shunted off and then uh, it right. didn't give that resolve to everyone. Um, and I think that's valid criticism. Um, and I'm not done with them, but it's still to a lot of people. They're like, oh, well, we, they wanted more of a payoff. So I think one of the things to consider is with your big bads and their forces that are acting the party, we want, we don't want, we don't want a conclusion, but we want that sense that it's been resolved, right? And it felt worthy. That they've been, you know, brought to justice or they've been, you know, captured somewhere that if they, you know, now they have to try and get out of that situation, right? Give them a hurdle to overcome if, you're, if your players beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we have more questions, but I think we're going to do another mailbag episode. So tune in next week to hear Russ say... Send us your questions. We, we want them. You, you need them answered. We want them. Yeah, baby. Thank you for listening to DM to GM. If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us. Russ and Sean. Our email is dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm to gmcast. You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Good evening, and welcome to Strange Air. I am your host, Malcolm Smith, and I'll be here for the next four hours taking your calls as we explore the outer regions of reality. Ten years ago, Malcolm Smith vanished from the face of the earth. One moment, he was on the air in the middle of a sentence, and the next moment, he was gone. People will believe anything. So, what do you think happened? I believe your father staged the whole thing. I believe your daddy was taken. Do you believe in miracles? I guess people believe what they want to believe. I believe I'll have a little more wine. It's time you heard the truth about your father! You're completely insane. Did someone hit you? Leave me alone! What's going on? I'm going to find my father. Strange Air. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit strangeairpodcast.com for more information.